Director's Notes, Episode 333, Jacob M. Erwar, Homesick. Welcome to Director's Notes, the podcast dedicated to the what, how and why of independent filmmaking. Here's your host, Marvell. A masterclass in the translation of production efficiency into maximum emotional impact, Jacob M. Erwar's second feature, Homesick, sees an ambitious chalice dreams of four walls, two people, one happiness, disintegrate as the pressures from her demanding career and her new apartment slowly erode her grip on reality. my pleasure to be joined by Jacob on the show today. Hello. So we always start things the same way here, that's to find out more about you with the question of what is it that brought you to filmmaking and directing because I know you had your sights set on um, a rock star <laughs> lifestyle originally. That's true. <laughs> Actually yes, um, I have to jump a little more back because I was in an, kind of an art school in Austria, in Graz, where we did like sculptures and paintings and stuff. And somehow I always wanted to uh, work with music. I loved uh, singing since I think I, I sang. So within the school, I thought I want to be a rock star. And then I wanted to bring it more to a profession like to start. I wanted to study jazz singing. Um, and there is actually there is a good jazz uh, school in, in Austria. And I, for like around two years, I tried to get in there and, and work to study this. And then it was, it came to the end of school and I thought, okay, I think music is not enough for me. I didn't want to leave paintings and sculptures and also storytelling out of my life. So I thought, what's the best art form to bring all this together? And that was film, because there I have images, I have some kind of paintings, I have music and the audio stuff, and I have storytelling. And so I thought, okay, now I have to see how that works. And I got myself books and I watched all the films, like uh, stopped after every scene and uh, after every shot and wrote down, just you know, like to um, get the puzzle into its parts, to know how to set it together. Then I moved to Vienna. I did some some jobs like a set runner and stuff. And I saw how film worked, how people talk to each other, how they communicate, how communication on set works. And then I thought, okay, now I know the first steps and now I have to study. So I tried to go to a film school and uh, actually it worked. I went to um, film school Munich. And that's where we are now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's oh, well, actually not where we are but, now. Well, but you that, had a feature. Was, was that your graduation feature? Graduation that came feature. straight yeah. out of yeah. Munich. And yeah. then I know you've done a uh, TV series as well. Yeah, exactly. My graduation uh, film was um, called All the Invisible Things. That was some time ago already. It was uh, 2007. And that was really, really nice because uh, there were some festivals already inviting it. Uh, I received the, the Austrian Film Award uh, for it. Uh, then broadcasting came and asked me if I want to do some series for TV. So it went really fast and I was like 26, 27 back then and overwhelmed I could work for TV already. And then after this I was working for three years and I thought, okay, 
and I need some time because like people send me scripts and uh, were asking me to do more TV and uh, maybe some uh, scripts for, for uh, cinema but I was working for years through and I thought okay I need to make one step back and think about where I want to go what stories do I want to tell so I uh, left everything went to uh, Berlin sat down and started writing again for myself to realize what stories I want to tell and yeah what films I want to do. One of the things researching the film um, and your work here that really interested me and I know will be of interest to our listeners is you express this feeling that quite often the soul of a film can be lost in all the development and funding Planning, financing. that just slows it down so you came into Homesick one main character, one main location, and one central conflict. Where did the seed for the idea come for that that was going to be your one central conflict and how you built from there? Actually, there were different ways led through to the movie. There was the one thing that I thought, I want to do a movie independently, I want to be very fast, I don't want to wait for years. Because uh, it was like 18 months, wasn't it? Exactly, to... from the very first idea to the finished movie. It was 18 months, that's almost nothing. That seems a long time for people who don't know how much time film takes and uh, I thought I want to I want to do some very fast film within very short time and what do I need for that so I have to leave all uh, the things that uh, curse a lot of money I have to concentrate on a small cast I have to find very concentrated uh, locations and I thought I want to have one conflict that is thrilling for the people so they don't get bored so I thought okay wh what does everybody know everybody has neighbors I read that uh, every second uh, person has problems with their neighbors <laughs> or wishes wishes uh, other neighbors so I thought okay that's, that might be a good topic a good conflict because everybody knows it and actually I asked myself it's not only a, a psycho thriller it's also a, a um, artist drama and I thought like within the last years I was working you know people always tell us filmmakers to focus on our stories to fight for our movies to fight for for our our passion but nobody tells us when there is enough fighting you know nobody tells us uh, sometimes things don't work out and here you have to leave it so that's somehow I um, try to tell the story uh, of Jessica that she wants this apartment she's fighting for this apartment because it's kind of her her story it's kind of her film it's kind of her her dream of her new life but she doesn't see the point to let it go to get out of the when you know uh, when Lawrence her boyfriend comes to her and tells her it's enough let's move and she says no it's not enough we have to fight for it yeah I'm not gonna let them win that was a yeah yeah thing yeah, for yeah, yeah yeah exactly one of the things that I, I loved about the film is the way that you play with our perspective because you know there's times it's not even that oh it goes one way and then it goes the other way and then we're on that track it kind of flips flops between them where I'm like really on her side like my god these people are dicks don't you know and then you're like oh did that really happen and then you kind of you bounce back and forth between that so how did you build that into the script and then obviously into the ultimate film actually I wanted us as an audience to uh, watch the movie and to always think okay we're clear we know what happens we see that she like becomes insane or crazy and um, in the end we don't realize that we feel the same way we uh, go the same way that she goes that Jessica goes you know we get insane as well we don't realize the the moment like in a psychosis if you have a psychosis you don't know the moment when you get insane there is no bell that rings and tells you okay now you're insane yeah, now you're not so, yeah. <laughs> and now you're not exactly 
So that's what I wanted to show the audience that uh, we always think that we know, uh, we see everything clear and we know the situation. But um, in this moment, we're too close to Jessica and to the story that we can see that we are with her yeah. in the psychosis. Yeah, alongside um, Jessica's character, which is brilliant, uh, there's her neighbor who's her main foil in it. But one of the things I really liked is her boyfriend, Lorenz, in a typical film, he would have been much less of a character, much more of a disbelieving character. But I think he makes great strides to meet her halfway and there was a bit where I was watching that was like brilliant boyfriend brownie points you know when he takes the time off and resets her and she kind of finds her place again and she can play the music again I think it was really good the way that you built their relationship so that it felt like a real relationship how did you work with the actors to get them to that place so it felt like they were a couple and there was mutual support there even though some of her actions are questionable we've been uh, rehearsing a lot before we had the big uh, chance to go in that apartment that we were looking for a very long time to the perfect apartment like a studio situation almost um, and we could rehearse in there for two weeks so they they knew the, from the not from the very first moment but they knew um, their place and they knew their relationship that was very important for me I always used to rehearse a lot with the actors but not actually not scenes in the movie but uh, also scenes that are not in the movie that uh, describe the relationship like uh, I like to ask them if they have a relationship how did you meet so they have to to find some story how they met and uh, then I tell them to not tell the story to me but play it to me so they felt how they met each other so they could feel it they have emotional memories yeah and um, for Matthias, who plays Lawrence, uh, it was not easy to play this part because he is so supportive. Matthias always told me, but I don't know, I would some, at some point I would scream at her or just, you know, like, <laughs> push her, you know, like, uh, and I said, yeah, but I think that's not how it would work with her. And uh, that was really interesting to work like this uh, with him and also to see him trying first to fight with this character, but then to really understand it and really, really support uh, Jessica and also the main actress. As I mentioned, um, your lead actress is fantastic and um, it turned out that you didn't have to go too far to find her. Yeah. So did you instantly know, because I should say you guys were neighbours actually, which is kind of ironic given this film, <laughs> did you instantly know that she was the person for the part? Did you write for her or...? No, totally not. I did not write for her. But when I gave her the, the script um, like as a friend uh, and she read it through one night and uh, next day called me and told me that this script is fantastic and it's a really big part for the leading role for the leading actress and she'd love to audition and I asked her do you really think so that she would love to audition uh, because you know we're friends we're neighbors this is a movie about a neighbor fight and I think I would look much closer if you audition than uh, if others uh, audition because I know you personally uh, and she said yeah I want to try and then we did big auditions and we casted a lot of uh, actresses in Berlin and uh, also the thing was that they had to play cello or at least to play a little cello and she took like three months of cello lessons uh, and uh, did a great job for the auditions already. How do you do the practicalities of that like you said that she practiced but obviously the level that her character is at is up there so what are the considerations when it comes to shooting and knowing that you're going to be syncing a performance to her playing? Already when I was writing the script I thought it is the story of a cello professional 
I don't want to do kind of a music movie where you see the, her play like like uh, uh, like furious. I always <coughs> want to show like the beginning or the end of uh, the piece. So that was one thing that was much easier for her. And there was also only one uh, situation where we needed a body um, double. Uh, it was a hand double in the moment when the finger starts to bleed. Mm -hmm. But I think that most probably speaks to as well. <coughs> one of the great elements of the film is the film's sound design and her muted cello and the way that that kind of builds the tension and you know, while she's looking out the window and that, that muted cello. Did you always know that she would be playing this kind of practiced silent cello and did that come out the practicalities of not wanting her to play you know, the whole piece? Kind of? I always thought about this, this uh, silent cello because it's much better to play it at home and you know, I wanted her to be a cello player because I wanted her to have a profession or a passion that has some kind of connection to the body. And I feel that music and art and uh, especially cello is some instrument that goes directly to the heart somehow. It's not like a violin that goes to the head like... <laughs> it's uh, directly into stomach and, and heart. And in the same way, I thought, okay, I want this part only like two or three times in the movie when she goes to the cello lessons to her professor. And I want her to, if we see her practicing at home, we hear this muted, not so beautiful sound because she's not in the, in the concert yet. She's just practicing at home. That's why. The emotional journey that she goes on is fantastic. Did you shoot in order or did you shoot out of order? Totally out of order. So she had to kind of dip <laughs> in and out of that because that makes it even more amazing that she... Totally that you've got that through line. Yeah, like I said, she was really doing an amazing job and she was uh, going into uh, situations that were not really beautiful for her. Uh, I think it was really hurting for her sometimes. We had to shoot out of order because we, actually we shot the other way around. We shot... Uh, <laughs> but she got saner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think the first day of shooting was the moment when uh, Lawrence leaves her. That was really interesting. We had to shoot backwards because of the uh, location. Because we wanted to build the location up first, how we liked it to be in the end. And then we took the things out of the apartment. And in the end, we shot the moment when we entered the room first. Speaking about the apartment and the cinematography, it's beautifully precise. And, you know, I don't think that there's one straight shot where you know like somebody's just against a wall or something we're always looking through frames within frames within frames within frames almost like you know when you have two mirrors next to each other and you kind of dip yeah. in what the conversations you and your cinematographer had and that wasn't a set that was a real apartment so finding somewhere that would allow you to get those kinds of shots must have been a nightmare so how hard was it for you to find the locations and then what were the references that you two were sharing to get that feel Actually, it was very early in the script. I thought I want to work with reduction, so very reduced images. If you uh, see other movies, they have around like a thousand, thousand five, two hundred, or thousand five hundred uh, edits. We have only three hundred and fifty, and I think when you saw the movie, it, it wasn't boring. No, not at all. And that was uh, one thing that we thought it has to be thrilling, but we want to shoot it very precisely. We want to have you know like tableaus that can stand for. Uh, the scene that I was talking before, when they quit, when Lawrence leaves her, is six minute one shot. It's, there's nothing. It's just the actress. It's, a pe it's an acting piece, this movie. 
it's just about the actors. We didn't want to move the camera that much. We wanted the actors to move within the frame to make the, the, the you know, the size. Change the shot size. The yeah. shot size is exactly, thanks, yes. And uh, this credo um, reduction went through all the departments. So the cinematography, the costume design, uh, the set design, everything had to be reduced to um, the... Um, what is it called? Essentials? Yes, to the essentials, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I know, again, which obviously helped with the um, production speed, you reached out to yeah. crowdfunding. How was that experience? Because I speak to filmmakers about crowdfunding and they say, oh my God, it's like making another whole film there. Totally. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a lot of work, but at the same <coughs> time, uh, it's a good marketing campaign. Uh, you get some people to know the project, um, and the most important thing is is a very hard thing, is a very tough thing, because you see whether people like it or not. If you don't get the funding, maybe the story isn't good enough. Maybe the movie, the project isn't good enough. But we got the funding, and we uh, we also got more than the funding uh, uh, amount we wanted mm -hmm. first. Uh, so we thought, okay, the people would like it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and also as well, one of the things that I found really really great is this idea that you had of um, having a really transparent production you've got all the behind yeah. the scenes videos and, and such and knowing that you were going to be sharing this with your funders and you know, they would be looking not just at the end film but all the stage that you go through did that maybe clarify the work you were doing on the film as you were doing it did it maybe key you in a lot more to the stages of seeing it from outside of your immediate vicinity on how your audience um, well actually no I knew very precisely what I wanted to do and uh, uh, so this this uh, didn't really change it was more from the side of like myself if I see movies that I like I tried to research a lot and I thought maybe it's interesting for the people to see how we set this thing together yeah like you said uh, to make it transparent there are two things the one thing is um, to have the movie you can consume the movie and you like it or not and the second thing is the way to the movie the, the journey to make the movie. So there are two things that people can enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Right at the beginning of this process, as we said earlier, you know, you set out to make something quick, make it kind of different from the constraints and the kind of breaks down, you know, things that make it slow in a traditional thing. And um, I found a great quote when you know, you're saying like, let's try new things, you know, let's start being braver again. What would you say to filmmakers who kind of feel like they're hitting a wall, you know, trying to get their projects going? With that ethos in mind, what would you say? To um, I do uh, film workshops in, in Austria for teens, and I always tell them, don't sit and wait for the chance, do it. Go out, do it. If, if you fall, you fall. Stand up again, do it again. It's, it's just about shooting. It's, and that's exactly what I thought. I don't want to wait another year and another year for the financing of the movie that I shot this summer now. I want to be in the process. I, I want to be in the process. I want to, I want to shoot. I want to write. I want to shoot. And I want to edit. And I want to bring it out. And I want to see. And I want to do the next step. I don't want to sit there waiting for years, especially as a young filmmaker. You don't have more than your passion because you don't, you don't have the skills yet. You have to work to get the skills. And uh, if financing takes you three years, that's a lot of time for a young filmmaker. So you mentioned that your new project, can you tell us anything about it at all? Uh, the new project is uh, after a bestseller, it's called uh, The Center of the World. I, I think it's also released in, in uh, a best-selling novel. It's also released in, in English. It's a coming-of-age story. The writer is Andreas Steinhöfel. It's a German, German book, but it's, uh, it was translated to 
lot of uh, languages. Actually, it's, it's some kind of a fun movie because I read the novel first when I started on the film school. Um, and I met the writer and asked him about the rights and he said, okay, they're already taken and they're working on it already, they're already casting for it. And it didn't work out for like eight years and I always wrote him, what about the movie, because I want to see the movie. And uh, after uh, eight years we met again in Berlin uh, and he said, if I'm still interested, it didn't work out and if I'm still interested, I could try it. For He, he would give me the rights for like six months. And I said, okay, I'm gonna get a little money, and uh, I got me the rights, and I worked on it, and it worked out because I think maybe I had this like uh, uh, eight years to find how I wanna uh, tell the story. This is a very thick uh, uh, book. Where should I send people to stay up to date with your work and to find out more about Homesick? Bring the people to our website. It's homesick-film.de, but. It's in German. <laughs> okay. That's good. Google will translate it automatically for them. Perfect. So it'd be perfect. And then um, I've just got to ask you one more question sure. because we have our own obsession uh, in my house. Where do we get our hands on the I love my neighbors tote bags? Ah, I forgot to bring it. <laughs> okay, you can write me. I will send you one. <laughs> it's really interesting because we were running around on the Berlinale with this bag and uh, people were crazy about it. They said, okay, we're going to buy it. It's how much do you want? 30, 30 uh, euros? <laughs> No, we didn't produce enough to. Maybe we should do it. Finance the next movie with it. Well, yeah, it's a great tote bag, and yeah, I know tote bags. It's a great-looking tote bag, so you should maybe do that. Cool, cool. Thank Jacob, you very much. thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you. To get show notes for this episode or post a comment, visit us at directorsnotes.com. Director's Notes is released on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 license. All other materials remain the property of our guests. Support the show by telling a friend, blogging about us, or leaving a review in iTunes. Every year, there are hundreds of great films of all types from around the world that don't get the exposure they deserve. It's our job to make obscurity a thing of the past, one film at a time.